I've been pulled over four times in my life. Uh, some of you are like, dang, that's a lot. Uh, how can you be a pastor? Others of you be like, that's uh, stellar. That's, that's impressive. Uh, one time was for running a, uh, or like doing like a rolling stop at a right-handed turn on a red light at like one in the morning type of deal. It was one of those. The other three are the same. You guys, any guesses of what the other three were pulled over for? No, uh, not having my headlights on at the proper time of evening. I kid you not, I've been pulled over three times uh, for this same thing. It happened uh, most recent, a couple weeks ago. And uh, I was driving home and I uh, saw the lights behind me. I pulled over and he, I rolled in the window and I said, uh, good to see you, officer. What can I help you with? And he said, do, I, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, no offense, I have no idea. And he goes, um, well, well, based on the time of day, your headlights need to be on. And I said, don't mean to like kind of get into anything here, but I can clearly see lights in the front of my uh, truck here. And he goes, do you want to get out of the vehicle and see what I'm seeing? And I said, sure, let's do it. And so uh, get out of the vehicle. And he was a super cool guy. And he had showed me that uh, on my truck, I got a 2007 Toyota Tacoma. It had just these little fog lights on the bottom that were on, but the main uh, headlights weren't. And he just said, hey, you know, you just got to make sure these on. He's like, do they work? And I said, I, I think so. Let's try it out. And he was like, okay, cool. And, uh, then he just says, you know, like, like this in particular, I'm not going to give you a tick. I'm not even going to write you up. Just, just turn them on. And he said, maybe invest in a newer car so that it does it automatically for you. And I said, well, you know, you don't know what I do for a living. That's not an option. Uh, and uh, he was super cool. And he said, yeah, I know. It's just for your safety and the safety of others. You know, when it comes to a lot of the laws and, and stuff that regulate our roads, our, our world, rules uh, of sports, rules of the road, everything we understand, most often than not, that it's for our protection, safety as others. There's one place, though, in which rules should just kind of not exist. They should, but you don't need to pay attention to them. And that is first grade basketball games. My son, uh, Jude, is playing his first uh, kind of season of organized basketball, and, and these kids are just learning the game in, in general. They're learning to dribble for the first time. Half the shots don't even make it over the rim type of deal. It is the worst basketball of all time, but it's adorable because they don't really know what to do. Half the kids can't even like run right, and, uh, but it's, it's kind of infuriating if I'm being honest. You can pray for me. We have these parents who are like screaming as if this is like the NBA Finals. Travel! This is a travel! Call the travel! Foul! Foul, ref! Foul! Double dribble! Double dribble! And I'm just kind of like, what is happening? It's like these kids can't even walk straight, and yet we expect them to play basketball. And so my whole point is, is like the whole point in this league we're doing, they do such a good job because you have these high school kids who are refing, and they have like all these parents yelling at them. I'm just like, I'm embarrassed. I'm going to start sitting. I'm going to bring my own seat and call this the only, you can only cheer in this section. You can't yell out any rules. You're just here because we understand that at this age, they don't need to know all the rules per se. They need to have grace to understand how to love the game. And that's kind of the whole point of the league that Jude is in, and we love it for, for that specific, specific reason. You know, there's other phases in life, other places in life where we understand the laws, we understand the rules, the necessity of them. And if you ask people who don't know Jesus, they don't have a relationship with Christ, maybe they go to church, probably not, and you'll see these studies and these surveys, they'll say the same two things over and over about people who have yet to enter into a relationship of Jesus. What do they think about him? And the number one thing that they say is, well, I don't like to go to church because it's, it's, it's full of a bunch of hypocrites. Do you guys know you're a bunch of hypocrites? Yeah, it's okay to admit it. I'm a hypocrite too, we all are. Whenever anybody says that to me and I said, yep, 
welcome to church. Like, that's why we're kind of here in the first place. It'd be like going to the hospital and being upset that there's sick people in beds and stuff. It's kind of the whole thing. And it's, we're all hypocrites to varying degrees. We're saved by grace, whatever. The number two reason oftentimes is that church or Jesus is just a bunch of rules. And it's funny because we understand rules and laws in so many other places in life and their specificity to help us be formed, molded, stay on track. Yet when it comes to Jesus, that's one of the first things that people say. I don't like the rules. I don't like the laws. I don't want somebody dictating my life and telling me what to do. And when I hear that feedback or hear that reason from people, my heart kind of breaks. Because I don't think they've met and understood and know the Jesus that I've come to know and live with and follow and pursue. Maybe you feel the same way. Because when I think about my walk with Christ, it's developed and matured over years. I never rarely, if even with any frequency, think about rules or things I have to do. I've learned, and Jesus, through the power of his spirit and his grace, has led me to this point, that the whole notion of following Jesus isn't about obtaining a certain level of status or maturity through our obedience that makes you loved by God. Rather, there's a God who loves you, and out of that love, out of that relationship, is birthed what is called Christianity and the faith. And so what about you? If you were to say, and just give me two terms, two things that describe who Jesus is, what comes to mind? So we're going to do a little crowdsourcing this morning. Here's, okay, when you see Jesus, when you see uh, the name, the phrase, you hear Jesus, what is it that comes to mind? What comes to mind when you hear the name Jesus, or what do you hear other people say often about him? All right, so this, we're going to put Jesus on the board here, and then we're going to kind of get some, some answers of what, of what we got. Is it coming? No. All right, we're just going to write Jesus. Okay, when you see Jesus, come up, just shout him out. Shout out things of words, phrases of what you think of when you hear about Jesus. Go ahead, go, go. Savior, love, servant. Keep going, keep going. Servant, light. Someone's brown nosing me from last week, okay. Uh, Servant, Savior, light. Keep going, keep going. Compassion, change, I heard change. Prince of Peace, Prince of Peace, Grace. What else? What else? What about other things? Son of God. Great, great. Son of God. Son of God. Keep going. Keep going. We're not done yet. Keep it going. Come on. Come on. King, power. King, power. Omega. We'll throw an alpha there too. All right. And we go on and on and on and on about what comes to mind about Jesus. I'm sure you can read most of that too. That's good. And as we continue our study through the book of John today, John is going to say, let me tell you the two terms that he chooses. As the guy who walked with Jesus, cried with Jesus, hugged Jesus, spent three years in his presence, he's going to say, let me show you, let me tell you about how I, the apostle John, choose to define Jesus best. And he's going to give two specific words for us this morning as we continue. If you have a Bible, uh, John chapter 1, uh, John chapter 1, we're going to be in verses uh, eight, uh, 14 through 18 this morning. We are in this teaching series called I Am, or we're here to discover who Jesus is kind of in his own words through John relaying that to us. And verse 18 will wrap up this morning what is called the prologue of the gospel of John. John spends 18 verses saying this whole gospel I'm writing to you about, this is kind of what I'm going to be describing over the next 21 chapters that I need you to know about who Jesus was. 
And we've been saying this kind of uh, every week so far, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, the first three Gospels, the synoptics, give us a really good chronological view of Jesus, of where he went, what he did, even to some degree why he did the things that he did. John writes a few decades later and says, let me though tell you who Jesus is. Because you need to understand who he is so that you might believe, pistuo, in him in a way that your life is changed and molded and shaped as a result. So we are wrapping up today uh, verse 18, uh, and we're going to continue plow- plowing through this uh, the study. Uh, John chapter 1, if you're there, say there. And this is the word of God for us today. It begins this. This is the word. So this is coming back from week one, the first couple verses. The word, capital W being Jesus, became flesh. Everybody say flesh. Flesh and made his dwelling among us. If you want to circle, highlight, underline that word dwelling, right in the the margin, Exodus uh, 33 and 34, because it's the same word that means to pitch a tent, so to speak, the, the tabernacle, the presence of God. We have seen his glory. Again, this is a first person account. I have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Here it is, full of grace and truth. Annotate those words, grace and truth, full. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one whom I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me, uh, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He's quoting John the Baptist there. And out of his fullness, there is again, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but here it is again, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made himself known. Made himself known. So here's John, he's kind of wrapping up this prologue. And he comes to this point, he's like, okay, I've told you about Jesus is God. You know, the first uh, kind of four verses, he is divine, he is creator, he is, he is the source of life. I told you about Jesus is savior, he is light and life to the world. And he says, okay, now it's time to tell you about Jesus's humanity that he's not just some distant God, he's not some God who put things in motion and then, poof, evaporated and then you just got to think about him. He says, no, 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 this was a guy that I knew, I walked with, I, I, I hugged him, I embraced him. And so, so I, I like to think that John probably wrestled with this a little bit. What words do I choose to depict who Jesus was most accurately? Man, those, those miracles, those, you know some of those miracles, those miracles, were, those were crazy, those were pretty wild. He was always wise. Jesus was, he was wise. He was, he was relational. Everybody loved being around him. He was funny, but like not too funny, but kind of funny, like a perfect amount of funny. He was crazy. And he smelled kind of funny, but I don't think people want to know that. He had terrible fashion sense. We always kind of razzed him about that. I mean, come on, you got to get with it, but whatever. But man, he was compassionate. He was aggressive when he needed to be, but it never went too far. He was righteous in everything he did. And so he's, I can see he's kind of wrestling. What do I leave people with? What am I going to write down so that, that it maybe potentially lasts for as long as possible for people to know who he was? And then it hits him like a Mack truck. Grace and truth. And not that what he was gracious or that he spoke in truth, that he was the embodiment. He was full of grace and truth. This is the first thing John tells us about, you want to know who Jesus was? Jesus, the person, the son of God, the Yeshua Messiah. He says, number one is that Jesus fully embodies both grace and truth. Now, when we hear these words or we, we see these words, we need to probably reorient a little bit about what these words mean. So we'll start with the word truth. Eliletho uh, is this Greek word that when we think of truth, we kind of think in terms of factual right or wrong. 
Uh, We think of empirical data, forensic fact. That is what is true. But in the scriptures, especially the New Testament, but also the Old Testament, truth doesn't mean so much is it right or wrong in terms of a black and white. It actually speaks to something that is dependable, something that is reliable. Think about truth. When when you see the word truth in scripture, it is more of something that you can rely on that's going to give you the same thing over and over and over again. It's like a ruler. If you want to draw a straight line, you find a ruler and you draw a straight line with it. And it is truth, it is true that every time you draw a line with that ruler, you know it will be straight. And at the same time too, you can use that ruler to compare other lines. That line looks a little crooked, I can't really tell. You pull the ruler up to it and say, oh yeah, it's not quite straight. It's close, but it's not there. So when John begins to say that Jesus was full of truth, he is dependable. He is reliable. Everything else can be compared against him as the standard. He also says that Jesus was full of grace. This is the Greek word keteris. He's not talking about grace, the prayer. He's not talking about grace uh, in in terms of of a person or just a name. He's talking about an embodiment of who Jesus was. Maybe you've heard the phrase that grace means unmerited favor. A lot of us, we understand, or we've maybe heard the phrase or the scriptures in which we are saved by grace. And we often begin hearing and thinking about grace as what gets us into the family of God. It is by grace that you have been saved, not a work of yourself. The thing is, is when John or the scriptures use grace, it's not talking about just the gift that you received. Grace is a gift that you have been given that you did not earn nor deserve. But there's also another part is that grace is also the thing that continues to do its work in your life so that you can follow God closely. And grace is kind of weird for a lot of us. We don't really know what to do with it. Like you ever go up to give somebody a hug right? And then they come in and give you like a little side hug at the end. You're kind of like, do we, you know, or like, you know, a lot of guys, you know, we don't really know like what handshake to go with. And we just kind of, you just, the hands just kind of blah, blah, blah together. It's kind of weird, kind of awkward. You ever been like out to dinner or coffee with somebody and somebody picks up the bill and you don't really know what that means. It's like, okay, does that mean next time I pick it up or is you, or are you going to do this every time? Like, what do we do here? See, grace can be awkward for us because it's a gift that we haven't earned, nor do we deserve, but it's been given to us freely. And so we need to know what to do with it. It's interesting because from this point forward, we we love the concept of grace, yet John won't use the word grace anymore in his gospel. Jesus was full of both grace and truth, yet he's going to use the word truth another 50-some times throughout the rest of his gospel. So for our purpose, if you're taking notes, I hope that you do. What is grace and truth? Grace is God's favor and power and work within us. It doesn't just save us, it sanctifies us to follow him, but truth is God's faithfulness towards us over and over and over again. So John's saying, if you wanna know who Jesus was, if I can give you two words as best as I can to communicate to you who the person of Jesus was that I walked with, sat with, ate with, smelled, you know, whatever it is, he says he was full of grace and truth. And it's this fullness, this balance of both grace and truth that will drive the religious people crazy for the rest of Jesus' life and ministry. At the same time, too, Jesus' fullness of grace and truth is what will drive others of us crazy along today, too. The Pharisees come along and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, you're supposed to be the king of the Jews. You're claiming you're the Yeshua, Messiah. Yeah, what about Moses? We hear a lot about grace and truth and forgiveness and love and compassion and justice. Yeah, but what about Moses? 
Like, like if you're a good Jew, what about Moses? What about the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch? What about all of that stuff? What about the Ten Commandments? What about the 613 Old Testament laws? And that's why John writes, he says, the law came by Moses. But let me tell you about the whole point of it. Now that the story is complete, now that the whole character and nature, the, the meta-narrative of God's story is full because of Jesus, he says, let me tell you about the whole point of the law. You see, when we hear the word law, we think about the Old Testament, your mind might go to, ah, oh, it's just all the old stuff. It's all the rules, it's all the regulations. But the thing is, the law was never given, get this, lean in, if you might have missed this before. The law was never given to show you how to earn God's love. The law was never extended to say, if you do all of these things correctly, then God is obligated to welcome you into his family. Instead, the law was given to say, this is God's expectations. Look how you fall short. And in God's law, at the same time he gives it, he provided acts of love and mercy and goodness along with it. Because the law was God's standard to show you how you don't match up and how you need faith in something other than yourself to be redeemed with God. You see, when people are like, Eric, I just, I love the New Testament. I love reading about Jesus. I love the epistles. It seems so applicable to my life. I don't really like that whole Old Testament. It's old, it's dingy. I don't even understand half the names or places. And it's just all those bunch of rules. And I think to myself, I just, then you probably haven't read the Old Testament like I have. Because when you read stories about David, Moses, Solomon, you read stories about the judges, you don't see a bunch of rules, you see a bunch of grace on display. Over and over and over, you see God's mercy and grace on display, but even take the law in itself. God doesn't just say, here's all the ways in which I need to be glorified, and if you don't meet them, sorry, you're out of luck. He says, no, no, and now let me introduce you into this system of grace, this sacrificial system, that when you break one of these laws, it breaks my heart, my shalom, my, my desire for life in this world, but I'm gonna devise a plan that a blood of something else will take your place and it will fulfill my justice, it will fulfill my wrath on your behalf and not a drop of your own blood will ever be shed. Get this, this is the point I'm trying to make here this morning that I think John is making is simply is that God's people have always, it's never changed, have always gotten back to God through means of grace and truth and never anything else. Except now, as New Testament people, if you will, grace and truth doesn't come in the form of rams, bulls, goats, or doves. Grace and truth comes in the form of one complete and full sacrifice, a man by the name of Jesus. But it's interesting because when these start, things start getting thrown around, we, we, we struggle sometimes about Jesus because of the fullness of it. Well, how much of it is, is actually necessary and important, right? And so John says that Jesus came and he was full of truth. And he says that, that he was full of grace. And I think what happens, and maybe this has happened to you, is we say, okay, well, I, don't, I, I like a little bit of truth, not a whole bunch, but just a little bit, just a little bit enough to know what right or wrong is. But man, I really like that grace stuff. I really, I really like grace because, man, I need a lot of grace. If you're like me, you need a lot of grace in your life. And then other people hear that. And they say, well, if, if all you do is preach grace or you, you talk about grace too much, then people are just gonna sin all over the place. Right, they're going to start sinning, sinning every day, every minute. They're going to sin on the carpets. They're going to sin in their cars. They're just going to, if all it is is just grace, 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 and it overshadows truth. So then people really try to pull, that's probably too much grace. We need to balance it out with truth. 
And we try to balance, what's the balance of how much grace Jesus gives and how much truth that he gives to us? And John tells us right here, twice, he says, it's not up to you to figure out a balance because there is none. It's not for up to you to determine how much grace God gives to somebody else. It's not up for you to determine what is true or not. He says that Jesus is both full of grace and full of truth. That they are equally full of who Jesus is. And as Jesus walks around, it might be a little confusing. It might be a little illogical. It might seem different. But John says, if you want to know who Jesus is, the guy I walked with, the guy I talked with, the guy I interacted with, he was completely full of both grace and truth. You see, the fullness of grace and truth is something that we miss out when we think it's up to us to determine how much of either. And there's something interesting that John says here that I think is, is important. So this is point number two. is He doesn't say grace and truth are things to understand. He says, they came and they dwelt with me. So because grace and truth is a person. And this is such a monumental shift. And if I'm being honest, it took me years to figure out this shift in my mind and in my heart. That in order to believe in Jesus, in order to experience Jesus at his fullness, we need to understand that these aren't attributes of who he is. This is the definition of Christ. Like we think of grace and truth, we think of them as, as terms. Religious maybe philosophies, constructs, we think of them as considerations for us to maybe give definition to who Jesus is. And John comes along and says, no, 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 the fullness of grace and truth in the flesh, that is who Jesus was. And I think sometimes when we miss that aspect, that Jesus was a person, that grace and truth are things that we can know and have a relationship with, it makes it difficult to engage with God. Like, think about this. For, like, if we took John, just think about this. If you took John at his word, that grace and truth is a person and not just things to think about, ponder, understand, doesn't that drastically change how we view grace and truth? Don't we think sometimes, well, if there's too much grace, people are just going to abuse the grace. They're going to take the grace. They're going to say, thank you, Jesus, for getting me to heaven. Now I'm going to go live however I want. Or we take the truth and we use it as a bludgeoning tool. You need to know this no matter what. Because it becomes a, a construct. It becomes a philosophy, something related to our faith. But John comes along and he says, no, no, grace and truth is who Jesus is. This uh, summer, uh, my wife, Diane and I, we will celebrate 12 years of marriage. 12 years, yeah, a couple woos. Okay, yeah, you can clap. Yeah, she's a lucky gal. I mean, you know, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oh, that's recorded. Uh, it's the other way around. Second service, she'll be in your second service. Uh, we'll have to clap it up for her. Like, she puts up with a lot. Like, you guys, that's not a surprise. Like, I'm a lot to handle. Uh, it's like me and then our kids. Somehow, I'm probably more. But my wife is one of the most amazing human beings you could ever meet. I know a lot of you uh, know her. She's kind. She's loving. She's compassionate. She's strong. I mean, I could go on and on and on. In 12 years... I have never thought to myself, self, Diane is so lucky to have you. She is so lucky and she loves you so much. And she is so kind and so gracious to you. You could probably do whatever you want. She's going to take it back. 
I mean, you could probably just kind of disappear for weeks on end. You could spend all the money. You could, I mean, you could probably even cheat on her and she loves you and she's so gracious and kind. She'll just take you back. Like hearing that verbalized, probably kind of gross, right? And yet some of us, when we think of truth and grace as constructs, we think or we tell ourselves or we justify, I don't need to live in truth. I can take grace and use it to my own will. But when grace and truth becomes a person, when it becomes grace and truth, that is who Jesus is. The embodiment fully in the flesh makes it a whole lot different. It doesn't become something that you need to remind yourself of. It becomes an experience. It's not something that you can say, well, yep, there's always grace. I don't have to clean up my life. You know, I can do whatever I want, and grace is going to be there. No, no, no. When grace and truth is a person, when it's Jesus that we know and we interact with and we spend time with, we begin to interact with those things in such a different capacity. Whenever someone hears about grace and truth and they respond with that, oh, cool, so that means I can just do what I want. Jesus will love me, let me into heaven. Man, that's such a good deal. I think to myself, you haven't met grace and truth, the person. You've met grace and and, and truth, the concept. You've heard about the things that Jesus has taught and you've liked them, but you haven't met Jesus himself. You experience these fancy words or these churchy terms in in a page in a book, but you haven't experienced Jesus himself. That's why John emphasizes the word became flesh. The word became flesh. The word became flesh and it dwelt among us. We saw his glory on display. We experienced him as a person. Not just the concept, not just the idea. We touched him, we hugged him, we laughed with him, we cried with him. He wasn't just some far off God to know. He was in the flesh and he was full of grace and truth. It's interesting because if you study the wholeness of scripture, the only other place in which somebody having this close of a tangible definition of God actually comes from the Old Testament. I told you to write down Exodus chapter 33 and 34 for good reason, because that's where it is. Moses just had this interaction with God. He's kind of wrestling, trying to lead the people. And God, Yahweh says to, says to, Yahweh says to, to, God, or to Moses, Moses, what do you want? And he's like, bro, I just want to see your glory. I just want to know you. I want to see you in, in all your fullness. And God's like, eh, we can't do that, but I'll show you my good side. I'll show you my backside, and I'm going to pass by. And so God passes by, and Moses catches a glimpse, and this is what he recounts. This is what he recounts, Exodus chapter uh, uh, 34, uh, verses 5, 6, and 7. You can uh, read along, you can see these, but this is uh, Moses' definition. Look for something interesting here. He says, then the Lord came down in the cloud, and he stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for their sin of their parents in the third and fourth generation. Here's the closest outside of Jesus in the flesh recorded in Scripture. And we see the words loving kindness 
and graciousness. Covenantal faithfulness here. It's these two Hebrew words, chesed and emecht. Chesed, God's loving kindness, his gracious loving kindness. And then he's over and over, he's true to his thing, echmet. He is covenantal faithfulness. His grace and his truth. You see, back then, if you wanted to know God, if you wanted to experience God, if you wanted to get a sense of who he was, you went to this place called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was this uh, instruction. It was this big fancy tent that the ancient people of Israel were told to represent. This is who God is. And this is how you enter his presence. And in the center is the holy of holies, the most holy place where God's presence rests. And nobody can go in there except the great high priest once a year, blah, 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 blah. And then you fast forward a few thousand years, so to speak, and enter John. And John says, you want to know who Jesus was? The word became flesh and dwelt, pitched a tent with us. He came, he dwelt, he was with us. And we saw his glory on display. We walked with him, we knew him. And let me tell you, John says, he was full of grace and he was full of truth. So this leads me kind of to my conclusion for us this morning is that if grace and truth are a person, that means grace and truth our living experiences as we learn to live with Jesus. It's not these words that we memorize and we put on a note card and then we, we say, okay, I've got that down. It's not just things that we wrestle with in thought or in our mind. It's that as we spend time with Jesus, as we spend time with our Lord and Savior, we are experiencing him and in his fullness of grace and truth. You know, I was trying to figure out how to wrap up this message. Um, and, and one of the things that, that uh, Samuel and I have started doing uh, before every message is, is we pray for and over one another. And, and I even told him, man, I'm wrapping up and I want people to know this. And while Samuel was praying for me, I think the spirit kind of said to me, is like, hey, like, they just need to know this truth. Like my greatest heart and desire for you the heart of our church for you is for, not for you to know some kind of construct, not to know some sort of religious system, not some list of rights or wrongs or rules. Man, we want you to know Jesus, Jesus in the flesh. And what that means is that, is that as you pray, as you worship, as you study the word, as you give, as you serve, as you sit in cohorts or, or, or other disciple-making communities, whatever it is, that, that you are experiencing Jesus. Not Jesus in theory. Not Jesus as a religious symbol. You are experiencing the glory and the goodness of him and him in the flesh. Both grace and truth. This is something that took me years to learn and to understand and to figure out. But once I did, once, once I had this realization that, that when I pray, that when I study, when I preach, it's an act of worship for me. I'm not doing something out of a, an obligation. I'm doing something out of a relationship. That Jesus came to this earth. He lived, he died, he rose again, not so that you might memorize a bunch of verses or to say, thanks for the free ticket out of hell. I look forward to that someday, but so that you might know him, know him intimately 
passionately and full of his grace and full of his truth. That's my heart for you. It's my heart for our church. It's a heart, uh, our prayer for you over and over and over that you would experience and know Jesus and both his fullness of his grace and his truth. As we continue to worship this morning, um, we're gonna go ahead and get ready for communion. Because as we get ready for communion, it's the way in which we maybe remember that greatest act of grace in which Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the grave three days later and said that my body is broken for you. My blood is shed for you as an act of grace, it is a gift. And this is the truth, the way, the truth, the life that nobody comes to the Father except through me. And what I would love for you to prayerfully think about when the timer comes onto the screen is think about Jesus as a person that you get to know. Reflect on Jesus and his grace and truth as something that continually works in your life. That you're not praying to an icon, you're not praying to something that happened several thousand years ago that you get to tackle on, that he is real, he is alive. And his spirit lives and his spirit lives in you. If you have confessed and repent of your sin, you now live with him and his spirit lives in you. One of the greatest prayers that you can adopt if this is something that you're, Eric, how do I, how do I come to know Jesus more as a person? Talk to him as if he's a person. Moses literally is refers to, to God as his best friend. Talk to Jesus as a person. Yes, he is Lord. Yes, he is God. Yes, he is just. Yes, he is righteous. But yes, he is full of grace and truth at the same time. You can just pray a simple prayer over and over again. Show me more of your grace. Reveal to me more of your truth. Jesus, I want to know you personally. I want to know you personally like never before. Let me pray for you as we continue to worship through communion this morning. Jesus, We want to experience you in your fullness of grace and truth. Reveal it to us this morning.